Thank you so much for all of that rich and worshipful music today. We uh, are in a sermon series entitled, Did Jesus Really Say That? Looking at those uh, countercultural message, messages that Jesus uh, had for us that turns culture upside down or, if you prefer, right side up. And I mentioned last week there are these flyers on the Narthex uh, Welcome Center table. Feel free to take some and share with others and invite them to be a part of worship and a part of sharing. In just a few moments, I'm going to read from Matthew uh, chapter 5, and uh, I'll be, begin reading in verse 5 and read through verse 12 if you want to have your Bibles ready. I want to uh, lead us in a prayer time, and before I do, uh, I want to share with you that uh, our sisters and brothers, uh, sister and brother Baptists in Africa, the All-African Baptist Fellowship, which is a wing of the Baptist World Alliance, uh, has invited us to make this weekend a weekend of prayer regarding the Ebola outbreak. Uh, we, of course, are praying about that anyway, but when our sisters and brothers in, on the African continent uh, ask us to pray, uh, they're asking us to do that with some sense of urgency. And, of course, it's not just something over there now, as, as we know from uh, watching the news and even hearing news reports this morning. So I invite us to pray earnestly, uh, for God to work and intervene in this situation, as well as pray about other matters that are on our hearts. So I invite us to pray. Let's bow together in a time of meditation and silence, time of reflection to be in God's presence, and just be and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to each of us and in each of us, and then I'll lead us in family prayer time. Eternal God, you are the great physician. You are the one that heals the soul that, that created us. You know all about us. And so we pray earnestly for those working in the medical field, those caregivers who are working swiftly to find answers to contain the spread of Ebola and to find solutions and cures. And we pray for all the healthcare workers involved and for all who are ill. We pray for those dealing with dire emergencies on the African continent, for government leaders that they might have wisdom and skill as they deal with this situation. And Lord, as we listen to the news or scan the, the latest news releases, we have to confess that this world is sort of frightening to us. There are germs and, and infections that are uh, seemingly out of control. There, there are wars and uprisings so many places. Help us to learn to trust you more deeply. Help us to learn to look to you for answers. Open our hearts that we may know a confidence in you that calms us in every challenge of life to simply learn to trust you more and to trust you better. We pray that you would minister to those in our own fellowship who are ill and those who are grieving and we pray for those serving in the military and for mission partners overseas and in places of danger that you might protect and guide. We ask, God, that you work in this church to accomplish your purposes 
that even today your Holy Spirit might work in our lives to have a deeper understanding of how following Jesus is different from following culture. Open our, our minds to new patterns of thought. Open our hearts that our old assumptions might be challenged. Feed us and bless us. By your Holy Spirit, have your way in each of our lives. We pray together. We pray sincerely that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart might be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 5, we're beginning in the middle of the Beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. I invite you to stand if you're able, and I'll read God's word aloud and you listen prayerfully. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. May God bless his word to our hearts and understanding. You may be seated. Well, I want to begin this morning with a pop quiz. If this were a classroom, I'd say to you, uh, put your books away and take out a clean sheet of paper. Here's the pop quiz, okay? What do these two men have in common? William Gladstone and Jimi Hendrix. William Gladstone was prime minister of Great Britain in the 1800s. Jimi Hendrix was a rock musician who died uh, at the age of 27 in 1970. What do uh, William Gladstone and Jimi Hendrix have in common? You give up? Well, in different cultures, in different nations, in different times, in different lines of work, they both share a quote in common. I don't think they cheated off of each other. I think they came to it on their own. And it goes something like this. When the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. You like that? You can vote for Jimi Hendrix or William Gladstone or uh, the theologian Augustine said something like that. And, and uh, it's been said many times in many places in many ways. When the, when the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. And the implication is, until that happens, we will not know peace. And I want you to reflect for a moment on that quote and think about how that so closely parallels what Jesus said to us in our scripture. He started out with humility, poor in spirit. Uh, he, He moved to being meek and merciful and being blessed because we're peacemakers and and even being blessed when others do us wrong. And he was showing us that when we willingly yield power, relationships of peace are possible. When we willingly yield power, relationships of peace are possible. Now, that, that, is, a, that is a counter-cultural message today. That's a message that really doesn't play well out there in real life. It's, it's countercultural. It was countercultural in Jesus' day, too. 
Because in Jesus' day, uh, there was a sort of peace that ruled. Uh, In Palestine, in the day of Jesus, the Jews were ruled by what was called Pax Romana. Uh, Pax Romana is uh, the Latin phrase for Roman peace. Before Pax Romana came along, there were uh, turf wars and and, uh, city-states and tiny nations quarreling with each other and having border disputes and and warfare was everywhere. Piracy was on the high seas, on the Mediterranean. There were just squabbles everywhere. And then the heavy, organized, very powerful hand of Rome came along and enforced peace. And there was peace. It was an enforced peace. It was a brutal peace. There was the absence of war and piracy, but it came at a huge price because Rome ruled with an iron fist. There was cruelty, there was fear, there was a peace, but it was a superficial peace. It was a veneer of peace because people were afraid. And uh, there, was a, there was that sense of, uh, of dread if, if anybody broke any of the rules. And there was nothing like the Jewish concept of shalom, The Jewish word for peace, shalom, actually means a well-ordered peace, a deep peace, well-being and health, uh, wellness and and having having justice where everything's right. Uh, Pax Romana Romana was not like that at all. It was just that it was that enforced peace with power. Now, here's what happens. When humans have power, whether it's military power, political power, church power, community power, power in the family. When human beings have power, if that power is left unchecked and unchallenged, it becomes intoxicating. The more we have, the more we want, and it's out of control. I want you to consider this quote by philosopher Arnold Toynbee. Toynbee said, those whom the gods would destroy... They first make drunk with power. They just get people all liquored up on power. And once you've done that, they're easy to destroy. See, Jesus was so wise. Jesus knew that when power marries pride, when those two get married, when power and pride marry, the ego will always be wanting more power. And it will always want more power, especially when it is challenged and when it is, when it is uh, rattled. And so Jesus knew that that really wasn't the way for God's world to be healed. So in the midst of this, this drunkenness with power that our world seems obsessed with, what is the message of Jesus. What is that countercultural message that Jesus gave to challenge the powers of his day? It's simply this. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll obtain mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called children of God. Jesus said that. That's the countercultural word. 
That's how we fight the obsessive uh, compulsion for power in the world. Blessed are the meek. Jesus said that. Doesn't meek rhyme with weak? It does, but you know, the New Testament word for meek does not mean weak. It means considerate. It means courteous. It means unassuming. It means humble. It means gentle. But it does not mean weak. The Bible tells us in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, that Moses was meek. But was Moses weak? I don't think so. Moses took on a slave system of his day that was a socioeconomic giant. It was a cash cow for the Egyptians, and Moses nearly single-handedly took on that Egyptian slave trade. I don't think you could call Moses weak. Jesus called himself meek in Matthew eleven twenty nine. Was Jesus weak? I don't think so. Jesus took on the Roman Empire of his day. Jesus challenged all of the assumptions of wealth and power of his day. Jesus took on all of that corrupt religion of his day. Jesus took on the forces of sin and hell and death and the grave. Jesus took on all of the forces of principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. He did all of that. Was Jesus weak? I don't think so. He was meek. He wasn't weak. The New Testament word, the Greek word for meek, was used for animals that were tamed. The taming of animals. So that when a horse is broken, she isn't weak. She is literally harnessed to accomplish better things. She doesn't lose her strength. Her strength is directed in purposeful ways. Her strength is channeled in such a way that she becomes all that she was created to be. That's what meekness means a direction to the power that is there, that is meaningful and purposeful and good. And it's the way God planned it. I've been carrying around this quote uh, since the early days of my ministry that has been very helpful. I think it was H.H. Farmer, a theologian who first said it. Listen to this and think about it. He said, power is the ability to achieve purpose. Power is the ability to achieve purpose, even if it means self-limitations at the present time. Power is the ability to achieve purpose, even if it means self-imposed limitations for a brief time. Now, I ask you, is that not a definition of Jesus Christ? Of his incarnation? Of his emptying himself of all of his privileges of heaven? His emptying of himself of all the rights of sonship? 
emptying himself of all equality with God. In fact, Charles Wesley says in one of his hymns, emptied himself of all but love. Jesus emptied himself of everything except love. He gave up all of his rights and all of his power. He self-limited himself to achieve the purpose of eternal salvation. That's power. That's power. Achieving purpose while temporarily self-limiting. Now, let's bring this down out of the stratosphere. Let's bring this down into the rough and tumble of daily life experience. For example, have you ever been controlled by another human being? Doesn't feel very good, does it? It may have been an unhealthy marriage or romantic relationship, maybe a work situation, maybe a a socioeconomic situation of oppression or a racial situation of oppression. It could be a gender oppression kind of thing. It could be any number of things. Have you ever been controlled by another human being? doesn't feel very good, does it? Now I want to flip it around. Are you yourself a controller? You always have to have your way. You always have to have the last word. Always have to win the argument. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Did Jesus really say that? Blessed are the meek. It's tough, isn't it? Take the example of marriage. I always get amused. Uh, Men always think that the place to start quoting the Apostle Paul is in Ephesians 5.22, where Paul says, wives be subject to to your husbands, and they always like to say it in the God voice, you know, a little deeper. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Well, we forget that Paul didn't write verses when he wrote letters. He didn't say verse 22 and then verse 23. The verses were added hundreds and hundreds of years later. Paul wrote a letter, and you need to start one verse earlier, Ephesians 5.21. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Mutual submission is the biblical way you start talking about all relationships. You don't jump in the middle of Paul's thought. And one of my seminary professors, Dr. Howell, John Howell, who still writes for Word and Way, uh, loves to talk about how this definition of of mutual submission is the opposite of uh, self-assertion it's the opposite of uh, self-assertiveness. It's the opposite of, of self-promotion. Uh, it is, I love his phrase, it, it is voluntary yieldedness in love. Voluntary yieldedness in love. That's meekness. That's power. Voluntary yieldedness in love. I want to share with you a piece of a poem by uh, Joyce Sutkin. 
It's a, the poem is entitled Next Time. You can Google it and read the entire poem. It's all good. She's reflecting on a relationship, no doubt. Next time I won't waste my heart on anger. Next time I won't care about being right. I'll be willing to be wrong about everything and to concentrate on giving myself away. Next time, I'm going to learn I don't have to be right. I don't have to have the last word. I'm willing to be wrong. I'm willing to be wrong about everything and to concentrate on giving myself away instead of having my way. You know the amazing thing that happened to Jesus that can happen to us too? When we give up power, we often gain more authority. Isn't that ironic? You give up power and you actually gain authority. Jesus said right before he ascended after the crucifixion and resurrection, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. This is the one who'd lost all of his power on the cross. We lose power. We gain authority. Someone has said the best definition of meekness is being surrendered to God. To surrender our ego, surrender our pride, surrender our self-will, to surrender our plans, to surrender our need to be in control, to surrender our need to have the last word. It is to surrender our lives and to trust the Lord. When we surrender, we win. When we surrender, God's power comes flooding inside us. When we surrender, Jesus Christ begins to transform us, but only when we surrender. Let's bow our heads together. I want us to pray for just a moment.